Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Tech Sisters Stories. Tech Sisters is a community that connects you with other sisters who share your story, experiences, and goals so you no longer have to feel like the only one like you on your team. My name is Grace, and I get to interview the amazing women in our community, share their stories, and the lessons they learned. On today's episode, we have Esra Kondil, who, mashallah, is amazing, so funny, and she has such great advice. Listen to this one multiple times because she has so many great tips that answer a lot of questions that we always see from new Tech Sister members. This is a really great episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Assalamu alaikum. Today on Tech Sisters Stories, we are super happy to have Esra Kondil. Esra is a software engineer at Trilogy. She graduated from Al-Azhar University and has a master's in computer software engineering from Arizona State University. Thank you so much for coming on today, Esra. Oh, thanks for having me, Grace. Actually, when Bisa reached out, her message made my day. So shout out to you, Bisa, if you're listening. <laughs> Mashallah. <laughs> That's wonderful. So how about we start at the beginning? How did you first get into tech? I wish I could say that I was passionate about math and computer science in the beginning, but I joined the faculty of engineering just to please my family because, you know, mm. just like the typical Arabic family, they want you either to join medicine or the faculty of engineering, whatever, but I wasn't really into medicine. So I decided to go for engineering. I told them that I did join this faculty to please you, but now choosing the major or the department is up to me. It's my choice. They were okay with it. The very first year in the college, you don't choose the department or the major. So the first year is more like you study different subjects from different departments and so on. Do you make your mind up on what exactly to choose? So during that one year, I kept asking older colleagues about their experience and their department. Would they recommend joining this department and so on? Normally, I don't love taking decisions, but when I have to do so, I try to postpone and procrastinate as much as possible. I mean... I guess that's the only scenario where procrastination might be a good thing because it gives you the chance to ask as many people as possible to get more opinions and to get to hear more stories so you can make better decisions. And by the end of that year, it was obvious that software engineering was the future. It has lots of opportunities, flexibility, and so on. And that was the story of how I actually got into tech. Nothing fancy, but after I decided to join that field, I really enjoyed it so much because the flexibility, the high salaries, and actually one thing that I really love is remote work, obviously, and you get to work from people from all around the globe and that expand my own worldview, right? And uh, one of the values that I highly appreciate is getting things done or productivity in general. And this is one thing that I found in tech because it is easy to, to learn a new language, to get to the syntax, to do something and build a project in just a few days. Like, you know, the very first project that we work with, like the hello world, the simple calculator. So that was something that I really loved about that field, being able to see results and making progress and um, getting things done, I guess. So that's basically how I got into this field. Mashallah. So the things that really appeal to you about engineering, number one, it's something that your family were okay with. So mm -hmm. you know, yeah. no major issues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can see that there's a big job market for it, that there's a lot of opportunities for remote work, that there's interesting things and the whole syntax of learning languages and solving problems really appealed to you. Yes. And, and by end of day, this field turns you into a problem solver. It enhances your critical thinking skills. So it doesn't just affect your career, but it also affects your life in general. So this is something that I also loved about software engineering after actually getting into the field that I didn't know before. 
Yes, definitely, mashallah. And I like how we're saying that because there's a big distinction between being somebody who is logical, who can solve problems and somebody mm -hmm. who's good at math. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's an overlap, but you don't have to be good at maths to be good exactly. at software engineering. Correct. I totally agree because math wasn't even my subject. I didn't love doing math, but mm. I still was able to make progress in this field. So this is a, a big misconception in our industry, right? Yeah, definitely. Another thing I'm curious about. So you started off in Al-Azhar University and then you did your master's at a Western University, Arizona State University. What was the difference between those two experiences, if any? Yeah, actually, um, the big difference is that that was remote and that was, oh, okay. uh, yeah, that was that's a big that's, difference. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's a big difference because when I was getting my bachelor in other university, I was a full time student for like two years, at least having it remote was way better. And also, to be honest, the, uh, the content and the material and so on, the syllabus in general in a Western university was a little bit more up to date. Um, mm, yeah, in other university, yeah. mm -hmm, some of the concepts, some of the subjects were, I mean, Especially in our field, technologies rapidly change. Yeah. So they, they need to constantly update the syllabus, which was not really happening that frequently in Al Azhar University. And I had to complement that, registering for online courses, reading external material books, and so on. So mm -hmm. that was one major difference, the content itself. But um, at least for the bachelor degree, because you're still getting the intro for everything. So it wasn't that bad because the beginnings are always going to stay the same, right? How how you program, how you I mean, I didn't get the advanced stuff from Al Azhar University, but it put me on the track, right? And that's something good, alhamdulillah. And then when I decided to go for a master's, um, I thought that maybe having a remote, because I was having a full-time job at that time, and obviously mm -hmm. I wasn't willing to quit the job for the master's, but I still wanted to do both. So that was something that Arizona State University actually allowed. Um, so... And instead of some people would have it in like less than two years, their master's program, others like myself, I actually took more than two years because mm. I was doing other things in parallel. And I think that was, alhamdulillah, a good decision because I was able to accomplish more. So it's not like I post everything and I put my career behind and then I decided to focus on master's, but actually I was able to do both at the same time. And master's did somehow reflect on my daily work because still, you know, relevant content, obviously. So it did help boost my career. So I didn't mm. pose my career, but actually the master's did help me advance in my career. So this is something that I, I liked. Universities started to get that. Now having things outside the class is something critical because sometimes you can read the books and do the assignments, but then when you actually apply for jobs, you can figure out there is, I mean, there's a gap that can be such a, a bad surprise. So that's no longer the case. So universities started to figure out that people are applying for jobs even when in in I mean for me even um even for the bachelor degree actually I was working as a software engineer in parallel with my university so people started to figure out that universities if they are not preparing you for the marketplace then probably they're going in the wrong direction and yeah. that's something that was obvious in the content updating the content frequently to to help you land a job is something that universities is now prioritizing I guess so this is actually a really interesting point. One thing that we are noticing that a lot of people are going into tech are not really going the university route. They would rather have mm -hmm. a boot camp or just a DIY course just to learn the basics mm -hmm. and get started getting a job immediately. But there are so many people doing that. That's really difficult to get an entry-level job. So mm -hmm. what was your experience? I think it's quite interesting that you're working and getting a master's at the same time. I feel like that's a very mm -hmm. unique thing. You mean my experience with doing both at the same time? 
So I think initially your experience with your bachelor's degree and then what mm-hmm. you found maybe different when you had the master's at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, master's did help me take my skills to the next level. But to be mm-hmm. honest, it didn't add a lot. In terms of my position, I could have learned almost same stuff on my own, but having it academically organized is something extra. I wouldn't mm. say it's obligatory. So if it's hard for you to do this, then don't go for it. But it's mm. a plus. It would, it's definitely going to add to your resume, of course, and you're going to learn new stuff, definitely. So that's something extra, but I wouldn't say, oh, you're not going to land a job if you don't do this. You're not going to get a promotion if you don't go for a master's. It might help you get better jobs. It might help you be promoted, but it's not 100% guaranteed and it's not the only way. But it's something I would say, if you can do it, you can afford that, then definitely go for it. It, I I learned a lot through this almost like 2.5 years. I've met lots of people, professors, outstanding people, and I've learned a lot from them. I had bigger network now. I would highly recommend it if it's possible because it's not the only way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really great point. There are lots of people who have different life circumstances, different abilities, different ways of learning. I think one of the great advantages of tech is that you can really find a way that works for you. There many 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 ways to learn to to learn how to code that's true actually i also as a side yeah that's totally agree i I totally agree because as a side hassle i also teach in boot camps so even though i went for a master's but i still believe that boot camps and i've seen lots of people landing um lots of um i mean as a side hassle also i do take interviewing but i see people like they do great in the interview. And when they start introducing themselves, oh, I just started a bootcamp half a year ago or one year ago when the pandemic kicked in. I was like, whoa, that's interesting. That's impressive. <laughs> Actually, when you see what people can do on their own, no master's degree, no bachelor degree, nothing, just a bootcamp. It's also impressive. And this is one of the things that I like about this industry. There is place for everyone. Yeah, There's no one route or like one path that everyone needs to, to go through to land a job. Even people without any boot camps, I've seen them landing jobs. So, I mean, there's no one rule here. Mashallah. I love that. That is absolutely true. Let's talk about the tech interviews. I mm-hmm. think that's something that a lot of people will feel very nervous and scared about. So yeah, are you true. doing mock interviews to help them prepare? I actually do real interviews on behalf of companies to help oh, them. Oh, okay. Uh, I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So to help them find the good talents and so on. So, um... Basically, in the interviews, we have knowledge questions or either coding questions and so on. It is actually fun. I mean, I'm still nervous whenever I have an interview. (laughs) So as a technical interviewer, when I have like an interview where I am the candidate, I still get nervous. (laughs) And I guess that's totally fine. (laughs) Back then, like a few years ago or something, if someone told me I would be a technical interviewer, I would have laughed so hard, especially (laughs) assessing people's coding skills because I struggled a lot (laughs) with problem solving and data structures, algorithms. It's really funny because I never thought that would happen. When I see people struggling with the same things that I was struggling with, I'm still struggling also. I feel like subhanAllah, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help us make progress that we never thought is doable or is even possible. When I do interviews as a candidate, I always remind myself that, hey, calm down. We're doing interviews, <laughs> girl. <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't work even. One thing that also helped me a lot with interviews, doing interviews as a candidate more often. So even if I have okay. stable job. Even if I do technical interviews where I'm the interviewer, I still want to do interviews where I play the candidates. No pressure because Alhamdulillah, I already have a stable job and I'm happy with the team and everything. But that always brings insights on what I need to improve. I'm someone who can easily get overwhelmed. So if I don't have a backup plan, Alhamdulillah, this is one of the things that I've, I've learned through the years is that one thing that 
helps calm me down is having a plan B, having a backup. So I can pull myself together whenever things go bad. If I feel like, oh, I'm in a toxic environment or anything, I'm not forced to stay. I have something to back me up so I can join another team. That actually calms me down a lot because sometimes when I know, oh my God, I'm stuck in this environment and I'm forced to stay, I can. Oh my God, that's super overwhelming. Just thinking of that is crazy. So subhanAllah, having a bucket plan. And I would say step one in that is keep interviewing, even if you don't want to have a job, even if you're not interested in their offer. And sometimes what actually happens, and that happens, that happened a lot with lots of my teammates, they keep interviewing with no interest in the job. But when they say, oh no, I have a better offer or I'm really part of a team, people start offering even better salaries and higher. So at some point, oh my God, maybe that's better than the job that I have now. And this 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 has nothing to do with your loyalty to your current team, actually, because downsizing can happen at any point. Yeah. And they would tell you, don't take it personally, right? It's just for the good of the company. This is business. It's not like we're going to keep you even if we're not making money. So downsizing shouldn't be taken personally. But also, on the other hand, if you're doing something for your own good, having better offer, better team or anything, that also shouldn't be taken personally. One thing that really inspired me to do this backup thing and helped me a lot in my life is I do remember one of my colleagues, he was such a great software engineer with outstanding skills, but he didn't really have any backup plans and he was super loyal to the, to the team and so on. But then the team was forced to downsize and they were forced to fire him. It's not like they liked it, but they were forced to do so. You know, business mm -hmm. is business, they say. Yeah. So since he didn't have any backup plans and I mean, I do understand his situation. I mean, he has responsibilities and so on. He was very mean in this meeting. He said really bad things. And obviously, if he had any connection with any of us, he lost it because mm. it was it, it really ended really bad. He took it personally and he did really panic. And he has all the right to, to panic, actually, because he has a family to support. Mm -hmm. But if he had a backup plan, because I thought, what if I was in his place? I would have definitely probably done the same, if not worse, because I'm someone who can easily get over them. So if they told me, oh, we're going to downsize the team and you're out, I would have fainted maybe. No, no I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> I would I would have definitely panicked just like him. Yeah. And this is what I'm doing for the backup plan with this intention. So whenever there is a bad situation, I would be able to control my emotions and I'd be able to pull myself together, not do or say something that I would definitely regret later on. So whenever we have a situation like that and the manager tells me, hey, we have I'm forced to downsize the team and I'm forced to let go of you. I wouldn't take it personally. So whenever we meet again, so when we meet, we greet. That's something I would love to have because I don't want to lose people that I worked with for years just because I couldn't be in charge of my emotions. So if I have a backup plan, that would help calm down the panic that I would be going through at that point. And this is why I always say rule number one in this industry, since we have lots of opportunities around, keep interviewing. Okay, Esra, that, that was such gold advice. There's so much to unpack there, mashallah. This is really, really important for people to hear because this is, I don't think people really understand how important it is to do this. And it's not just a women in tech thing. This is for everybody because it's very easy to just get comfortable at work exactly. and to feel like this is a family, to feel like this is a very stable thing. You're not in charge, unless you're the CEO, you're not in charge of anything that's happening there. It can happen. And there's nothing personal about it. It's it's just how it is. SubhanAllah, it's really good to have this level of flexibility, to build up this muscle, to just be prepared for what can happen. 
when you're going into negotiations with your company, knowing what your market value is, knowing that if they're not going to pay you what you're worth, or they're not willing to give you what you want, then you can go and it's totally okay to do that. How it strengthens your skill as a developer to move and to go around to other companies. This isn't something that hurts you. It's actually really to your benefit to do this. I think this is really, really exactly. important. So thank you for sharing all of that. SubhanAllah. Jazakallah khairan. Sure. How can a candidate prepare for a technical interview in a way that can really make them stand out? Cool question. One of the things that now companies are highly focusing on is problem solving skills. I didn't encounter a single interview that doesn't have one or two at least coding problems because in this industry, technology is rapidly change and they don't just assess your femininity with specific the XYZ tool or so on. They want to assess your critical thinking and problem solving skills. So when they decide to change the tech stack that they're using, you're still going to be available. Right. Even though at the beginning, I personally hated problem solving a lot. I actually even decided to avoid problem solving for years. When I was in university, since it's software engineering department, there was definitely student activities where they have competitions about problem solving and so on. And no matter how hard I tried to actually tackle these concepts, I always failed and I always felt super stupid that I was not good enough for problem solving. At that point, I, just like many other sisters, I was lacking lots of confidence, uh, mm. you know, negative self-talk, overwhelming myself, what is now called as imposter syndrome, right? So mm -hmm. it's now, you know, it's, so it seems like the struggle is real. I, I wasn't the only universal thing. Everyone has yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, uh, one day I was skimming through the content I was teaching in a bootcamp and while skimming to find the concepts that I'll be teaching, I found a topic that says what to do when imposter syndrome kicks in. I was like, whoof, whoever is working on this content is killing it because that's, <laughs> that's really True, one of the areas that imposter syndrome can really take you down is problem solving. Mm. It is kind of overwhelming and concepts, and this is what I used to do back then. If I don't understand a, a topic or a concept from the first time, I would be so harsh and I would beat myself up and I would say, you know, you know, the negative self-talk would start and you're stupid. That's because you're stupid. Look at others doing, you know, faster progress and, and, and so on. At some point, because of that negative self-talk and overwhelming myself, I decided to quit and I avoided problem solving for years. Mm. I mean, who's going to reverse the link less than their daily job? And this is true. I was part of that group who says that I'm not going to do reversing any link less in my daily job. Mm. And I even landed a job that required no problem solving skills. And I remained like that for years, avoiding problem solving. And whenever I come across anything or a position that requires this skill, I would say, you know what? Um, problem solving is really overrated. Yeah, <laughs> it's not for me. And it's like overrated and so yeah. on. Even if I don't like it, um, it is it is what it is. Problem solving can really open doors and it really can enhance and take your problem solving skills and critical thinking skills to the next level. And at some point, I remember that one of my work colleagues who joined Amazon, mm. he wanted to give me a referral and he was like, yeah, you should join and I'm pretty sure you're going to nail the hiring process. I was like, wait, I'm stupid. I would never do it. <laughs> So, you know, just the word interview and problem solving was pretty overwhelming for me. But then he said that we've been working together for years and I know that you're smart and it just needs some time and a little bit of practice. Obviously, I still turned down his offer and I didn't go for the hiring process, but I decided to give myself another chance. Mm -hmm. And I decided not to face complex issues head on. I decided to break it down into small pieces. And at that time, I 
thought to myself that maybe I should try something different. So negative self-talk and overwhelming myself was like terrible. And I felt too badly following that path. So that time I decided to practice self-care, to be patient, to not overwhelm myself. So I told myself, you really have a stable job. So there is no pressure. You don't have to understand the topic from the very first time. They give it time to sink. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to start with hard and even medium problems on whatever platforms. I would just focus on easy problems. And there's no pressure. I don't have to do like 100 questions or whatever. I didn't set any goals, actually. I decided to break it down and to move as slow as possible, but making progress. And I would, you know, pat myself on the shoulder every time I make progress, even if it's like 1%, because that is still progress. And I know how hard these concepts were for me. So I decided to do it differently, do it gently this time and not beat myself up. And um, turned out that baby steps is how I function. <laughs> I realized that. <laughs> Most I mean, it people took years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it took me years to realize oh, that. Yeah. But then subhanAllah, I started to make a you know, little, you know, it took me around two years of deliberate practice, I mm. would say. But it was small steps. No pressure. You know, subhanAllah, that reminds me of the hadith uh, that Prophet Muhammad said about um, So the acts most pleasing to Allah are those which are done continuously, even if they are small. Yeah. So I was doing it. I was doing it that way. Small, but continuously. And getting slightly better every day turned out to be the secret to getting results that last. And at some points, I also in parallel decided to try and do interviews, right? So mm -hmm. I started to somehow practice my problem-solving skills with zero pressure because I already have a job and I told myself that, hey, problem-solving is something that we're doing, you know, it's an extra thing. And getting that pressure off my shoulder helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. And I would feel overwhelmed. And at that point, I started to... Uh, the concepts of problem-solving skills and advanced data structures and algorithms started to sink. When there was that position about getting hired as a technical interviewer, I just did it for fun. I was applying just for the experience of going through this hiring process. But the surprise was that, oh, I made it and I was accepted as a technical interviewer. So I laughed so hard that day because I remember that I was struggling with that. And now... Uh, being in the seat of someone who's assisting others coding mm. skills and problem solving skills um, was something that I never even dreamed of. One thing that I always tell people about problem solving is practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Practice makes perfect, really. When it comes to that topic, the more the better. And interviews could be a way of practicing. So it's not even if you fail an interview, it's not the end of the world. Avoid negative self-talk, of course, because that's something that you would definitely do after failing an interview. So don't do this. Failing an interview is still progress. And actually, mm, make sure that you're part of a group, just like Texasthesia, for example, because I always say that the environment is something critical because the person who actually encouraged me to give myself another chance was someone from my workplace, the mm. environment I was surrounded by. Surrounding yourself with good people will increase the odds of you to doing good things. You know this hadith, uh, <laughs> the Prophet <laughs> uh, mentioned that the example of a good pious companion and an evil one is that of a person carrying mask or perfume and another you know, blowing a pair of billows. So mm. the one who is carrying misc or perfume will either give you some perfume as a present or you will buy something from him or at least you will get good smell from him. 
But on the other side, the one who is blowing a pair of bellows will either burn your clothes or at least you will get a bad smell from him. So what happened with this friend? He didn't give me anything. He didn't even give me the referral. But I was somehow affected by his experience. So it's some people say that, no, I'm I'm not going to be affected by whatever environment I'm in or whatever. But, But I don't think this is true, actually. You will be affected in a way or another, even if you're not conscious, even if you didn't realize it. And that what happened with me. That's also one thing I highly recommend before getting into an interview, make sure that you're practicing with people who are supportive, positive, that will change your game, actually. Problem solving and data structure and algorithms is the first thing that you will most probably encounter in an interview. Unless, I mean, still some positions are not requiring that, but for the interviews that I do, I would say 99% of the interviews has some sort of flavor of coding problems. The other parts, it highly depends on what tools you're using. Mm-hmm. One thing also that is going to be part of any interview is communication skills. And in the context of technical situations, right? So probably they will ask you something similar to, oh, talk about a project that you worked on in the past, a technical challenge and how did you fix it or how did you solve it and so on. So communication skills and being able to work with the team on a technical problem and actually solve it and bring insights to the table is something that is appreciated in any company, of course. So the two common parts in any interview, regardless of the tech stack you're using, is coding problems and communication skills. I'm not going to go through the details or what situations you can mention that is going to affect your communication skills because there's Mm. lots of details when it comes to that. But basically, these two factors are pretty critical to any interview. Definitely. Mashallah. I'm going to plug Tech Sisters because we do have a coding gym for problem solving. Yeah, for algorithms and all that. So whoever wants to practice that, it's a supportive environment. We go through that. SubhanAllah. I think it's really interesting that you were saying that your colleague was telling you to apply for Amazon. He said, he said you could do it, just give yourself a couple of months and you could do this and you decide not to do it anyway. And I think it's really interesting that you had, you gave yourself the space without any pressure. And I think you, exactly. because of that, you probably learn more and develop your skills more than if you would have or crashed really hard and did the Amazon interview. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, I think so. I, I totally agree because, um, Maybe it would be different for someone else. Some mm, people, fair, uh, yeah. they mm, yeah, they can shine under pressure. But I guess for most people, pressure is going to slow down your learning process, specifically for learning. Maybe if you know how to do something and there's pressure, okay, I'm going to put in more hours. It's going to be really exhausting, but I'm going to get this thing done. But mm-hmm. for grasping new concepts, you need to have a you need to have a clear mind. You need to give yourself some time to actually fully understand the concepts. And if there is that pressure that hey hey you need to understand this topic now, probably you won't. Yeah, like for learning, whenever you need to have something that's deeply encoded in your brain, you need to go over and revisit it and make connections. You need time to do that. I think we've all had the experience where we crammed the night before for an exam and then took yeah. the exam and next day you don't exactly. remember anything, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I that that's that's something that I didn't want to go through again yeah. because I tried to do this before and it didn't work for me. And I guess for most people that would be the case. I, yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> and actually, yeah, and this is actually one of the things that because I needed that the most when I was struggling with problem solving and and, and data structure. Uh, whenever I have a session at the end of each, because uh, Basically, the concepts I'm focused on is concepts about data structures and algorithms. And I see other students and I see students are not getting it from the first time as well. And when I see that happening, I feel it's totally normal. And this is why at the end of every session, I always tell them that 
it's okay if you don't get it from the first time and give it time to sing. And I tell them, pat yourself on the back. I'm telling them exactly what I wish someone has told me back then when I was struggling, yeah. hoping that their experience will be better than mine. Because this is, this is really crucial to the learning uh, curve in this industry. And subhanAllah, one kind of word can be enough to get you to show up the next day. It's Which true. happened to me, right? Because when my colleague who worked years with me told me that, hey, you're smart, that one word changed the game for me. Mm. So I'm trying to do the same with students I'm working with, with the intention that al-kalimat tayyibah sadaqah. So the good word is also charity. SubhanAllah, I mean, the struggle is real and you need to surround yourself with supportive people. You know, you need even support your own self and look for, because some people say that, oh, I, I don't want external validation. At least for me, I, I actually need it. And I think most, most people do. It helps. Yeah. It helps. Yeah, definitely. SubhanAllah. So Esra, you are Nakabi in, in your yes. normal life, right? We have a lot of Nakabi sisters and tech sisters. One of the things that comes up as a question, especially for the new sisters, is how is that experience of interviewing okay. and getting a job in Nakab? Yeah, sure. Well, to be honest, alhamdulillah, at the beginning when I started working, it wasn't a remote company, but it was mm. a local company here. And Egypt is a Muslim country, so it wasn't really challenging. Like It was something people were familiar with. Sure. Uh, and then when I started to go for remote, because it was, you know, way better opportunities, the struggle started to kick in a little bit. But I have to say that we're lucky, subhanAllah, because at that era, every, I mean, most companies are promoting inclusion. Even if they are not 100% aligned with it, but to some extent, they are trying. So that's something really incredible to see that people are trying to respect and accept. And um, I can remember, to be honest, one incident where I met someone who was racist or was like, no one, I don't, I can't recall. Maybe that happened, but I can't recall this because... Um, I would say for every one racist person, there is at least 100 people who are willing to support, accept, mm. and respect. And the, 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 the fact that now with like most companies now that went for remote, um, all of us are from different parts of the world, right? So having people from different countries, different backgrounds, different languages kind of forces us to accept the difference. So this is also one more factor that made it easier for me to fit in. Alhamdulillah. So. I may, probably, probably some companies are still uh, not having this inclusive environment, but more and more people are promoting that. More mm -hmm. and more people are realizing that environment matters. And because we have so, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, this industry has lots of opportunities. Exactly. And you're not, mm -hmm, you're not forced to stay in a company where it's toxic, where people are not accepting you. And it, companies and people realize that environment is something crucial. Mm -hmm. Accepting and feeling accepted and inclusion is now critical because if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel accepted, then leave. Remember the backup plan that we were talking about earlier? Yeah. You have a backup plan. Your skills is the backup plan. You're constantly interviewing. If someone is mean to you, your manager is not accepting that you would leave. Or, I mean, in remote work, there's there isn't that restriction, actually. You can leave to pray and without even anyone that's realizing so great. it. Yeah. SubhanAllah. That's <laughs> SubhanAllah. That's what yeah. it, gets, it gets easier. Yeah. yeah. It gets easier and easier. So this pressure of being Muslim, being Naqabi, being Hijabi started to, you know, I would say with time, it will, it will eventually fade, I guess. Because even though across the years I worked so far, 
I didn't come across any Muslim sisters so far in my team. I wish, mm. but that didn't happen. It's but common. Still. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so That's I why actually... Texas just exists because I had the same uh-huh. experience. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> um, and, um, but still, I never felt... Um, I never felt that people are not accepting me, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Even, and actually, what, what can take this to the next level, um, outside the working hours, some of them would reach out because, hey, we want to have a site business. How about how about you join us? How, how about you, you be part of that business? So it's not just they are faking it inside the office. It's mm. got, and now they are taking it outside the office. So if you're working together for years and then you're someone who is a hard worker, you, you try to do your best and... Um, you're never mean to anyone and so on. People will accept and respect eventually. And also in remote life, they don't constantly see you. So sometimes they forget that you're even hijabi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess sometimes they do, but they know, but Mm. it's not constantly present. They would reach out on LinkedIn, nothing related to work. Hey, can we have a call about one business that we have an idea about and we think you might enjoy it and be interested. So when that happens, I, I mean, it is a clue or like it is an indication that they are not faking it. This is really mm-hmm. how they feel. They accept and they are willing to work with you again, not just in, during the uh, office hours, but also outside the office. Sometimes when you think about something, it might happen actually, because you're constantly thinking, oh, people are not going to accept me. Yeah. People are not going to accept me. So when you go to the office and someone gives you a look, maybe he didn't really mean it. But since, because back in your in, uh, in your mind, you're like, oh, people are not accepting me. Probably he gave me this look because of my hijab, mm. because he doesn't accept me. You're looking but, for it to happen. Exactly. You're looking yeah. for it to happen. So I personally think this is this is really a bad thing to do and it's going to hurt you before hurting anyone else. And when you come with this intention that I'm willing to accept people and in return, I'm expecting people to accept me and respect me the way I exactly respect them. So that would happen. So if you're looking for something to happen, it would eventually happen. And this is why I can't even recall maybe that happened. Someone looking down to me because of my hijab, because of that. Probably because I, I try to remember the good incidents and mm-hmm. that somehow erases the bad ones that I can't even recall if that happens. I don't think I came across something like that or maybe just minor incidents that I, I it was easy for me to just ignore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Alhamdulillah. But that's that's really wonderful. And I like the idea that they're accepting you for who you are and your talents and your skills and your knowledge, not on your physical appearance, which is one of the reasons why we wear a hijab and niqab is to be judged for our character and not for our looks, which is really beautiful. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah. Exactly the point. Asra, what is something that you're proud of in your whole career, tech, personal life, however you want to answer it, what's something that is really special to you and really meaningful? Uh, let me think. Um, uh, I guess one thing, because I love what it means, what it, what it actually represents is making it to a technical interviewer, because that represents that every time I am willing to give up on myself, every time I'm willing to beat myself up, like I used to do, uh, alhamdulillah, I no longer do this. At least I'm trying not to do this. I remind myself, Hey, if remember you never thought that you're going to make it to a technical interviewing, mm-hmm. a technical interview world or as a technical interviewer in general. So that that is something that represents that. I, I still do this. I'm still, sometimes before interviews, I get nervous. Sometimes I, I'm, I'm almost close to giving up on myself on something. else because, you know, challenges where 
continue to arise and we will always have challenges nice. in life. Sometimes I feel like, oh my God, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not willing to, I'm, I, probably I will just quit. So I remind myself of that situation. And I say that if you can do this, and subhanAllah, it's not, it's not because I always say, subhanAllah. So you put, you put in the hard work and if it's meant to be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it possible. So I always tell myself that don't do the same horrible experience you did with problem solving. Don't beat yourself up. Remember what we did there? You ended up failing so badly. Mm. So if this is not going to work, why go the same path again and just experience the same, you know, negative feelings again? So that kind of represents a fact that helps me go through life. So this is one thing that I'm proud of. And in general, I'm proud that, alhamdulillah, I'm now more likely and more willing to give myself another chance. Mm. Back then, it was very hard for me to give myself another chance. And for others as well. So giving others another chance was not an option for me because I, I don't even give myself another chance. So you either nail it from the first time or you are not. That's good it, you're done. <laughs> yeah, you're done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Toxic me. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I'm over this now. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And what's the other side of that? What's something that you regret or you wish that you did differently? Hmm. Let me see. Uh, that's a deep question. Um, um, Alhamdulillah, I don't have many regrets, yep. but one thing that I wish I could have done differently is, um, you know how companies prioritize the quality of their code? Okay. I want to do the same because sometimes when, when, I mean, they, for example, one thing that I really love about our team now is that we have a zero blame culture. Mm. So if someone breaks production, which can happen. Hopefully that doesn't happen frequently, oh, but yeah. <laughs> everyone does it once. Exactly. <laughs> yes, sometimes it can happen, right? Yeah. So I love how, because you can trace that, GitHub makes it very obvious to figure yeah. out who exactly broke the code. So it's possible, right? They can get you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what I love about the team, because I did this personally once, I did mm -hmm. production. And we joined the team, like it was an urgent team because we want to fix it and roll back to a stable version as soon as possible. So I was expecting them to point fingers at me and I was really overwhelmed. But what happened during this team is everyone started to take responsibility for his mistakes. Normally, we don't just merge the code. First, we go through code review, which is done by someone who's more senior. And then there is the checks that go through the code. So if everything is passing, then we're good to move. So everyone started to, oh, I guess it's my bad because I didn't catch that during mm. the review. And then mm. the person who's doing the checks, uh, he's like, that's my bad because my checks were not accurate enough to capture this. So, oh, so no one is pointing fingers at me. And this is something that I, I wish I could have done differently and I'm still trying to do this in my life. So mm -hmm. the point is not about who made the mistake, but just like they're doing in the team now, is doing an RCA. And actually the manager at that point, he said, guys, I'm not really worried or concerned about whose mistake is it. I just want to fix the mistake. Yeah. So what we did is we had the document to do the root cause analysis, figuring out why exactly that happened and updating the playbook so that doesn't repeat again. Yes. updating the checks, updating the quality bars and so on. So that doesn't repeat again. I wish if I would have done that with my life earlier, rather than just beating myself up, do something constructive. So you failed. That's okay. We mm -hmm. all do. Mistakes is going to be part of your life. No, like even if you're like, you're a super, super senior engineer, you're still going to make engineers. Even old people with like experience will still make mistakes. The difference is doing this RCA 
not just in terms of food, but in terms of your life. with your life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of uh, scary looking at your yeah. food as just some sort of base uh, uh, food base. <laughs> but I mean, look at the quality of the project. <laughs> yeah. Well, Oof, that's that how you scary. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at it, yeah. instead of pointing fingers, because sometimes you can say, "Oh, that's so one family member." You want to point a finger at him. It's because of it's because of you that happened because of you or sometimes pointing finger and at your own like oh it's my mistake I'm stupid whatever so pointing fingers in general is not something is I mean the zero blame culture is what companies realize brings more profit more benefits so if companies care about their code the quality of their projects I should care about the quality of my life as well I should mm -hmm. apply the same things we do there to my life. So instead of blaming my family members, blaming a friend, blaming myself, I should look for the root cause analysis, have a discussion with this person whom I think it's his mistake, or even if it's like my mistake, and then start to write down why that happens. You know, the rule of the five whys. So why that happens, right? <laughs> it's kind of scary looking at your life that, that way, I know. <laughs> But when I started to do that, I started to have less fights. And fights are really bad when you fight, especially when you fight with close family members. Yes. So, but rather having a calm discussion, having a quiet discussion with them. So I know that you didn't mean it. I, I don't really care about why you did this or what happened, but I know your intentions were good. But I wish if we can next time do this and this and that. And also hold yourself accountable because probably it's not going to be solely their mistake. You played mm -hmm. a role somehow in it. Just like the one who reviewed my code, he didn't touch the code. He didn't write a single line. It wasn't his mistake, but he said, oh, I was there. I should have catch it. Mm. So I, I started to hold myself accountable for any mistake, even if it's not mine. There is, I could have helped in a way or another and then try to have conversations, trying to figure out the RCA and trying to update our playbook so we can avoid this in future. Th this is one thing that I'm still trying to accomplish in my life. And if I was able to realize that earlier in my life, um, It would have made my life easier. But alhamdulillah, subhanAllah, I'm happy with uh, Allah's plan, of course. And that's where we grow. So every day you learn something new that you didn't know earlier. Whenever we have a problem that even we're not able to solve, we have this option that GitHub gives us to roll back, yeah. to roll back to the latest stable version. So even if there is a problem and we're not able to find the RCA for it, even if we're not able to fix that in the meantime, we shouldn't panic. We should have a backup plan, just like we were discussing earlier. So roll back to something stable. I mean, the CICD in general, the whole process, the continuous improvement, continuous deployment thing is something that if we utilize something that I know that I'm constantly improving, even if it's like slightly better every day, but that's continuous improvement. By end of year, you can find impressive results that you never expected. SubhanAllah. Okay. I, I love that. I also do that in my personal life. Perfect. It can be very annoying for your friends and family to be like, oh, every time I mess up, we're going to have like a big <laughs> postmortem about this. <laughs> you have a point, but enjoy it better than having a fight. Yeah, that's true. SubhanAllah. Uh, that's so funny. So the last question I have for you today I have to say also, I am so happy with how this interview, mashallah, you are such a wonderful speaker, Asra, so knowledgeable, so, so helpful for your advice, and mashallah. What is something that you are most grateful for? So something, someone, how do you want to answer it? I'm definitely grateful for my family, mm. grateful for my friends, and 
my coworkers, I mean, the environment again that we were discussing earlier, because subhanAllah, I always say that I wasn't working with just software engineers. I feel like I was working with ninjas and rock stars. I've learned a lot from them. <laughs> and really, seriously, they always pushed me to get the best out of me. So whenever mm. I was feeling down, whenever I was feeling stupid, whenever the imposter syndrome kicks in, they were here to help. Having pair programming sessions with them was super helpful. I've learned a lot during these pair programming sessions. So I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful for my colleagues, for everything I've learned from them. Super grateful for my family and their support, continuous support. Validation is something that I constantly need. And this is why, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, I was blessed to be surrounded by a supportive family, supportive team, supportive friends. And whenever I come across someone who was a little bit toxic, I was able to leave. I was able to just leave because sometimes people are not brave enough to just afford leaving. So that's one thing that, alhamdulillah, I was able to do. And I'm tremendously grateful for all the good people I come across so far. Alhamdulillah. Well, alhamdulillah. It's wonderful. It's really beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Is there anything else that you anything else that you'd like to share? Any last uh, words of wisdom or advice? Mm, I feel like you've I got everything uh, out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Alhamdulillah, I really enjoyed this talk. Thanks for having me, Grace. I've really enjoyed it. Jazakumullah khairan. And all the work you, you do with Tech Sisters, pretty impressive. We always need that safe spot in this environment. So it, it helps us get the best out of each other. So having this sister's safe spot is something that is definitely needed. Jazakumullah khairan. Well, lucky. And having sisters like you who are so willing and so generous with their time and, and contribution and being so dedicated to helping others is really what makes it so beautiful and ties all of this together. So Jazakumullah khairan for you as well. And as always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Esra's story today. If you liked it and you like what we're doing at Tech Sisters, consider following us, leaving a review, sharing this episode with any friends, or even supporting us on Patreon. All of those really help us a lot. This is a completely nonprofit organization. We're just doing this for Sadaka. So anything that helps more Muslim women find us and discover us and hear the stories is immensely helpful. And if you are a Muslim woman in tech, please go ahead and check out our community. It is completely free and fun and very supportive. You can join by going to our website at tech-sisters.com and filling out the membership form and you will get a link right away into our Slack. So it's really, really easy. Just a quick announcement. If you are a Tech Sisters member, there is a community health report survey that is out for all of December. It's super important that we all fill it in. We get a good representation from the community. So you have definitely been getting emails and Slack messages from me about this. I don't want to be uh, too pushy or anything, but please fill those out. They are very, very helpful. And that is all for me. And I'll see you next week. Assalamu alaikum.